Okay, it's a great privilege to have Len with us this morning. Len, do you want to come up? Len is uh, a good friend. Len and Debbie were here in Oxford for some years, and we were sad to see you go. (laughs) I'm very glad to have you back with us this weekend. Um, I'll just pray. Lord, thank you for Len. Thank you for all that you've put in his heart. Thank you for the many treasures of your word that are in him. And we pray that you'd help this morning by your spirit for that treasure to come out for us to see and understand more of you, your plans and purposes. Lord, we ask that as you speak, uh, through, that as he speaks, that you would speak through him. Touch our hearts, sow your word into us. So we pray that you would make us this morning to be good hearers of your word, meaning that we don't just hear, but we respond and do what you call us to do. May our hearts be soft and receptive to what you want to do amongst us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's uh, great to be home here in Oxford again. And uh, thank you so much for uh, the warm welcome. And it's great to see uh, some of what I think Steve called the usual faces, the well-worn faces, the usual suspects. Uh, that show up at a place like this on a Sunday morning when you could be having a lie-in. You've chosen to be with one another and to be with God. You made a good choice today. Um, So uh, tell your neighbor, you made a good choice to be here today. Yeah. This morning, um, I've been assigned a topic... They don't always do this to me. They usually say, share what's on your heart, and um, you, know, you never know what's quite going to come up. But I've been asked to, to speak on a topic, apparently as part of a, you've had a series going, I understand, right? Kind of what it means to walk with Jesus, to kind of let his light shine through you and so on. So as it turns out, they picked one of my favorite subjects, uh, which is food. Um, so this is good. Uh, I've already sent out for uh, fish and chips and for some kebabs for every. No, I wish I could. Wouldn't that be great, you know, if we could kind of have a bit of a sermon illustration going here and just turn this into the family table? Actually, it already is, you see, and we'll talk about that, um, uh, that this morning. Well, first, uh, a couple um, special greetings uh, to uh, Jonathan and Joanne Bailey, uh, who are here. Some of you know. Why don't you wave uh, at, the, uh, at, the, at the throng about? Uh, Jonathan and Joanne uh, have been serving in um, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, currently in uh, Karachi, serving the Lord there, expressing his love in word and deed. Very fine folks who now uh, center themselves out of the, uh, the Darby uh, Fellowship. So we're, we're glad to have you uh, here this morning. And also uh, that other bearded chap uh, beside them. Um, you see, we, we do the facial hair thing in Afghanistan, Pakistan. You have to understand that. Uh, my dear friend uh, Mike uh, Devini, a uh, 30-year uh, veteran of living on the Afghan frontier, many years in Pakistan. Our, our daughters grew up together. And uh, so we've known Mike for, gosh, over 20, before our, year, our beards were gray, right, Mike? Uh, so we have had uh, many cups of chai together and naan and kebabs and delightful conversations uh, with local friends. Uh, we've both experienced their wonderful hospitality and uh, been privileged to give hospitality in, this, in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ 
uh, to our Muslim friends in that part of the world. So w we honor you guys and we welcome you. Thanks for, uh, for being here uh, today. Um, quick uh, shout out for perspectives. Hey, this is like uh, swallowing a time release capsule. This, this will totally ruin your life. Uh, you will never be the same. You will be high on God. Your will will be bent into alignment with his will. You will be more passionate about his glory over the nations. You, you will be impossible to live with. In fact, you may want to just go. Uh, go anywhere, far away, after you take this course. Who knows? Um, so I commend this to you. Well worth, uh, well worth investing uh, those, those weeks in. I urge you to take advantage of that. Where's Tom, our man who got wet this morning? You're around here. Is he? yeah. yeah, God bless you for that. Oh, there you are. Okay, yeah. You know, we, uh, when our uh, Muslim friends would decide to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we used to do that in, in the back garden of, uh, of my colleague uh, in a buried uh, tank. Uh, covered uh, otherwise with metal plates, and so no one would know. The women folk would fill it with water while the guys were in preparing the men for, uh, for getting dunked, and they would sign off just like you did to serve Christ any time, any place, any cost. And sometimes for uh, in that part of the world to decide to follow Christ, at any time, any place, any cost, um, that's the real deal. Of course, it is for us too, right? There's no double standard. Right? Okay. So, live as a dead man. Dead to the world, alive to Christ. So, God bless you um, uh, this morning. Greetings from, uh, greetings from Debbie. Uh, do we have a photo? There she is. Yes. This is now, I know. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Debbie, my third trip to the UK this year, and Debbie has not come with me. Forgive me. Everyone say, I forgive you, Len, for not bringing Debbie. Thank you. She really did want to come, but uh, was unable to get away because of her work uh, responsibilities. Uh, but she does send her love and greetings and uh, lots of hugs uh, to you all. As you know, she, Debbie completed a, a master's uh, program in uh, spiritual uh, formation and soul care. Soul care. Isn't that a great thing to have on your business card? Not soul train, soul care. Um, and uh, so she does quite a bit now of um, actually an expansion of the ministry she's had for many years in terms of helping people towards wholeness uh, in every part of, of their lives. Deb's a nurse, uh, a nurse midwife. Uh, she does uh, sort of nutrition uh, counseling, but now also this area of helping people in their walk with God uh, to get back in touch with their own heart uh, as well as uh, with God's heart. So she sends... Uh, Love and greeting. She would be interesting to hear me speak today about hospitality and the related subject of, uh, of food. You know, most marriages, husbands and wives, they have, you know, there's certain subjects that come up that you sort of um, have disagreements about, uh, discussions, right? You know, it's, 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 it's money or it's sex or it's family. Uh, we add food. Uh, when Deb and I go to a restaurant, when Deb looks at a menu, you know, I say, boy, doesn't that look? It's just too many carbs. Uh, and I said, what, what, about th what about this one right here? Said, oh, no, that's going to make your blood sugar grow up. And, and that one's got too many calories. And, and me, you see, I come out of an Italian-American background. You see, I, I sort of feel my way through a menu, and I just sort of can sense there's something going on there. It's, it's the, the sights and the sounds. It's, it's, it's snap, crackle, pop, fragrance and flavor. Uh, so Deb has a, has a slightly different approach to some of these things. So you want to keep that in mind as I share uh, my take on, uh, on hospitality and, and food. But really what we're talking about today is a matter of the heart. Hospitality is a matter of the heart. 
Hospitality is a style of life. Okay? It's a matter of the heart, and it's a style of, of life. Um, yeah, we still work with students and, um, at the local university. Um, my oldest uh, son, Josh, is now 36, two little boys, uh, Grayson uh, and uh, Cooper, uh, five and four years old, respectively. Um, apparently, the, the plan is as soon as I fly home on Monday, uh, we will hop in a vehicle and drive 1,500 miles to go see the grandkids. Okay, that'll be fun to work off the jet lag. Uh, but anyway, it's worth it when you're pops, and um, we will uh, enjoy um, a, a huge family time together. This is my middle son, Jeremy. Uh, also, we raised our children on, on the border of uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan, for those of you who don't know us. We lived 14 years uh, in Pakistan um, in, in a city called Peshawar, uh, so the kids grew up there. And uh, these past few years, uh, doing more advising, overseeing teams that work in uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan, consulting and teaching and so on. This is Jeremy uh, and his little boy, uh, JJ, John Jeremiah. And uh, so uh, he's, uh, he's now... Um, Apparently walking, so that will be good fun uh, to read uh, Dr. Seuss books and other such things. And then uh, last year, year and a half ago, I took a long walk with my daughter and gave her away. Um, and so Melissa, now married to uh, a fairly fine chap uh, named, uh, well, you know, um, for my daughter, uh, Melissa's name is Jeremy. He's also a spiritual director, and they live very near us uh, in uh, in Los Angeles, uh, so it's a great joy to uh, see the Lord's hand on, on their lives. See, hospitality, in some ways, is inviting people into family. And uh, this is, of course, one of the great themes uh, within Salt and Light and here at, uh, at OCC. Um, but um, this is something that I think we, we need to help to lower the barriers in our own hearts to be able to welcome uh, others in. Um, our scripture this morning is from, um, and I don't have this on the screen, so I do apologize for that, but this is from um, Luke uh, chapter 14. If you have your uh, Bibles or your iPhones um, or iPads uh, or whatever um, you use. Um, <clears throat> when one of those at the table with him heard this, they were having conversation, notice this, the setting for this is at table. Jesus had just had some time eating with folk. You know, most of our conversations in Afghanistan and Pakistan, most of our most significant conversations about God, life, death, friendship, and so on, took place during or after a meal. It's amazing. It, almost always. Or else bottomless cups of chai. Right, Mr. Mike? Yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to hold a lot of chai for a long time right? To work in our part of the world. Someone once asked Mike, my friend Mike here, how many cups of chai do you drink a day? And Mike said, well, not quite as many as my Afghan friends, perhaps 25, 30. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so here's Jesus at table doing the kind of thing, the usual sort of thing you do. And uh, um, Jesus, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells a story. And we use a lot of storing in our part of the world as well. This is the time when you can chat and relax and talk about God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. 
but they all alike began to make excuses. How many of you are good at excuses for not getting things done? Yeah. Uh, But the the first said, I have just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master said to his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Hospitality is a theme that runs throughout uh, Scripture. One of the things I did, well, these are some of the kinds of folk that we uh, hang out with in our part of the world and have had hospitality with, either receiving it um, or, or giving it. Now, you, you look at some guys like this, um, you might think that's a little off-putting, Um, wouldn't that be a little bit uh, scary? Uh, But actually, when you sit with someone, uh, the walls come down. And they'll take off their turbans, and they begin to relax. And there's something that happens in hospitality. And I want to give you sort of five themes or lessons from Scripture of what hospitality uh, does for us. Next slide. First, I might mention, one of the most fun courses um, I taught, I was a professor of of uh, intercultural studies at a university near Los Angeles. And uh, some of us uh, profs would go out for lunch, a couple guys, we'd go out for lunch different times. And we, we love ethnic restaurants. And of course, in, like here, you can, or in London, you can get food from all over the world. So we'd be doing Thai uh, one day. How many of you like Thai food? Oh, yeah, that'll keep you warm for about you know, 24 hours. If you do the stars, just get as many stars in there as you can, right? Um, or then we'd go out for Korean food and, of course, a variety of Korean restaurants, or we might do the, the Middle Eastern thing, go to Sahara Falafel, one of our favorite uh, places, and you got kebabs and the hummus and the baba hanoush, and you got that action going. And we'd pick different places, and at one point we thought, boy, wouldn't this be a great learning experience for students? And, uh, gosh, what if we took some students along with us? And, and I just thought to myself, gosh, I'm going to do this. And so I just created a module, as you call it here, a course, um, that would run for two weeks intensive in the month of January. So it was an elective. Students could choose it if they wanted it and call it food and culture. And the advertisement was, come and eat your way through the Middle East and Asia in two weeks. <laughs> we had so much fun. We'd start off with a Bible study, of course. Uh, food and eating in the Bible, starting in the book of Genesis, running all the way up through the book of uh, Revelation, taking different themes and passages uh, we would look at the theme of the honorable host, the honorable guest. Um, we'd look at Abraham, and we'd look at uh, Jesus and the pattern of his life and what meal fellowship meant there. Uh, so much in the scriptures about this. Then we would have um, lectures that would deal with some of these topics, um, food and ethnicity. Some of you have sort of, how many of you would lay claim to some sort of specialized uh, sort of ethnic cuisine that's in your background? Uh, go ahead and claim it. It's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, good stuff, whether that's... Uh, 
you know, Polish, uh, Ukrainian, Greek, uh, whatever. We'd look at food and ritual, food and feasting. We'd look at strange foods, um, the history of food, the history of spices, uh, the tradition and diffusion of food ways. You know, rice takes on a little different flavorings, you know, in different parts of the world. You've got overlapping uh, culinary areas. Uh, You know, one reason Thai food is so fantastic, you see, is you've got a crashing together of the South Asian curries with some of that Chinese stuff in in that uh, peanut... uh, um, peanut sauces and stuff from Indonesia, all that comes together in Thailand. Wow, that's explosive and volatile, you know. Um, then you've got uh, food and identity, um, continuity and change. You know, food ways change over time when people come here. How many know that curries here taste a little bit different than curries in Pakistan and North India? How many have found that out? Yeah, you see, you know what I'm talking about. See, there's a bit of, of change that goes on there, so we want to look at that food and the social order. You know, the, the higher up you go, you know, when's the last time some of you ate caviar, you know? Uh, some of these things, you know, it's just so, but others of you are really into that mushy peas thing. I, I just don't get that, doing that to, a, to peas, but, you know. Okay. And, and what's the other thing? Um, baked beans over toast? Yeah, 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 see? Anyway. Um, and then, of course, uh, regional foods. Um, you have some sort of... Re- what's, the, what's the food as you start to go up towards, say... Manchester, Liverpool, and there's some favorites up in that area. Derby. When you go up to the Midlands, what's that? Yorkshire puddings, and you know, there's some weird stuff you start to encounter even right here on this uh, on this uh, island, huh? Well, anyway, that's um, so. I approach this. Um, um, I approach this, uh, you know, from well, not only an academic uh, perspective as well as a sort of an intuitive and a life experience sort of thing. Uh, what's the next one? Um, okay, yeah, yeah, I want you to turn to one other person, okay? Now, you've got one minute each for this, and that is it, okay? You've got three questions to answer, all right? So, one, your favorite junk food. Anybody know what we call junk food? Is that like, is that like an Americanism, or you, you do junk food? You will admit it. Okay, uh, what's your, <laughs> your favorite junk food, whatever that is, you know, if that's chocolate or something like that, fine. Second, your favorite food or meal when you were a kid, all right? Um, and thirdly, the strangest food I have ever eaten. Fill in the blank, okay? Ready? Go ahead. Stand on your feet real quick and share with one other person answers to those three questions. Go for it. Okay, let's uh, pull it back together, shall we? When you're going to walk with Christ to the nations and journey to the nations, one of the most important skills you can develop is, is, is that capacity to be able to sit at table with people, either as host uh, or as guest. And that can take you to strange places. But part of the Jesus style is being willing to sit at table as host or as guest with people from all nations. Because Jesus is that kind of a host who welcomes all to his table. Now, that can take you strange places. You might eat strange foods. Let's see. I had uh, some of my students uh, look at this. Um, let's go to the next one here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't chicken <laughs> yeah. in your fortune cookie. Right. That would be a surprise. Um, you know, some places you go to, uh, how many of you have ever done frog? Uh, yeah, there's a few of you, and, um, you know, it is considered a delicacy uh, in certain uh, places. 
Um, I taught my children when we went over to uh, Pakistan, we eat whatever is before us. No questions asked. Actually, better not to ask the question. Um, but um, apparently, there's all sorts of recipes. You can sort of skewer them up. And um, uh, some of you, who has recipes for frog? Yeah, these are downloadable. You can find them. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, one way to go. Uh, there's a certain way you have to clean them, of course. But nothing goes to waste on the frog. You, you eat the whole deal. The, actually, this is another weird thing. Some places you go, um, you're going to drink some pretty strange um, stuff. But there are certain parts of the world, um, in India, China, that um, this, uh, this strange sort of a drink, uh, for health reasons, uh, they might go uh, this direction. In India, it's associated with uh, the yoga and tantric traditions of uh, Hinduism. And actually, historically, uh, the ancient Gauls used to gargle uh, uh, urine to whiten their teeth uh, while the Aztecs drank it to get rid of uh, stomach aches. You, you don't quite know what you're going to uh, encounter there. I was up in, in uh, northwest China, um, let's see, that was among the, uh, among the Uyghurs, the first year that they opened up the famed uh, Karakoram Highway. This is all Marco Polo territory. And a friend and I uh, went up there uh, that year, and we were praying through the area. And I went out exploring and was entertained by some Kazakhs. And their favorite drink uh, was, um, yeah, it was a sort of milk that was flavored in a strange uh, sort of way. And I, took, I thought it looked like Pakistani chai which has got cardamom in it and lots of, and, and, and lots of sugar. And uh, so I took a gulp of that and just about died. And then I made one of the early mistakes. This is my first year on the field. Uh, I finished it. They fill it up again, see. So uh, in any case, um, you never know. And then there's, well, there's all sorts of things. Um, bush meat, uh, as it's called in certain places, um, China, Hong Kong, Vietnam, Cambodia, Indonesia, India, Africa, Gabon, the Middle East. Um, some places uh, prefer to, you know, they do the, the monkey brains uh, thing. Um, and historically, um, this, was a, this was a delicacy uh, in some places. Uh, some guys get the, uh, the brain and others would eat the heart. Um, and apparently, um, there are certain ways to cook it and eat it. Now, in our part of the world, they do what's called brain masala. Anyone eaten? Have you had brain masala? You've had that. Yeah, it's kind of one of my friends. It's her favorite food. Um, it's goat brains. And you, uh, you sort of uh, cook that up with all sorts of wonderful Pakistani uh, spices. It has the texture of sort of um, what we call cottage cheese or like, like tofu that's a little bit mushy, if you can get past that. Um, but, you know, uh, people do all sorts of things. And you, there's recipes online. We won't trouble you with this. But just to say that, um, you know, if you're going to prepare yourself uh, for cross-cultural, you never know what you're going to uh, get into. I was in one situation where, where they, were roasting, they were roasting the goat. And, um, and they said, oh, Dr. Len, come on over, come here. And they gave me the, well, shall we say the unmentionables. Um, you know, those parts uh, of, of the goat to eat. And you're just sort of, you know, expected to honor them by eating whatever is, um, is before you. Well, the first thing about hospitality. Hospitality says something about the character of the host. It says something about you as the one who welcomes in the guest. It says something about God. And from the very beginning of the Bible, we see the Lord God made all kinds of trees pleasing to the eye and Good for food. Good for food. Right there from the get-go in the Bible, you see, God's thinking about us. He's good. He's generous. And he said to them, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And, of course, the first sin, um, when they saw, when Eve saw that, that fruit of the tree, what did she say? 
it was pleasing to the eye and it looked like that was going to be pretty good eating. So even the first sin had to do with, shall we say, the, the promise of food, the supposed promise of fulfillment and finding fulfillment outside of the boundaries of what God has commanded. How that is a picture of our own propensity to find fulfillment elsewhere and satisfaction and pleasure elsewhere. You know what I'm talking about. Nod your head a little bit if you know uh, what I mean. God shows himself as a host throughout Scripture. Psalm 23, which we usually associate as a shepherd's psalm. There is that uh, wonderful verse that uh, many uh, commentators would say describes God as the heavenly host welcoming us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And my cup overflows. What a bounteous and wonderful God we serve. Generous and good. Next one. The Afghans have uh, proverbs, and as some of you know, I did my doctoral research on the folklore of this particular people group, the Pashtuns, and uh, looked at the themes and how they're used and so on. So very important in their world. Um, it's sort of a exp- lessons for life and, uh, and other things, but... One uh, lovely little proverb, um, they'll say, let it be an onion, but let it be with love. In other words, even if you don't have a lot to offer, if you are poor, you don't, you don't have the money to go to a lot of expense, and you can only serve your guest, well, the simplest of foods. Let it be an onion, that's fine, but, but let it be with love. Let there be love there. Showing hospitality says something about the host. In fact, in, in Afghan culture, uh, the hospitality you experience, um, and this is true actually in the Middle East and in Asian cultures, in a way it says something about you as guests, but in some respects the host is using you as a mirror to show his or her hospitality. It's a way of showing one's beneficence, one's generosity, and one's goodness. And so it is that um, the hospitality of God, that he welcomes us to come to him, it says something about what God is really like. Not a God who chooses to be far off, as our Muslim friends would say and see. But no, a God who comes near, a God who eats with us. And when you show hospitality to one to another and to others who are outside, not yet part of the feast, it says something about your reflection of the heart of God. It says something about your character, your godliness, your, your willingness to love and embrace and welcome. Second, um, hospitality establishes a relationship between the host and the guest. There's something that happens when you eat together, when you break bread together, when someone, in Middle Eastern terms, shares your salt. Uh, there's a bond. You are ch- your, your status changes from prade or stranger, to that of melma, of guest. And so you shift categories in their minds. And a guest is treated like a king or a queen. A guest is given the best seat. A guest is given whatever they desire. A guest is honored. A guest is protected. Someone could be after you, chasing you. No matter who you are, you could be a person of low character or high. It matters not. If you have found sanctuary in a home as a guest, you will be taken care of. It's one of the things I think we can learn uh, from our friends uh, on the other side of the world. We have much to learn. Uh, from them. We are much more used to inviting our own, those we know. I can ride a bus uh, through a city like Peshawar, for example, and uh, just meeting a person who's chatting. Why are you here? 
you know, what are you doing, and so on. And as you talk, they might say, well, Saturday, my son is getting married. You should come to the wedding and bring your wife and bring your family and bring your friends. You know, just like that, you can get an invitation. Or an invitation to come, let's have chai together. Right there, to stop. And I mean, when's the last time that happened to you as you were riding the, you know, sort of the buses around Oxford? It's, it's quite amazing, isn't it? We're quite used to the opposite. We, I understand, I know the drill. You know, you don't talk to, to folk, right? Uh, except to say, is this the queue? You know, two people standing there, you ask, is this the, you know. Um, but otherwise, you don't sort of enter into someone else's social space. How different? The hospitable heart. Hospitality is a matter of the heart. It's a style of life. And it establishes relationship with uh, another person. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I will do the most intimate thing. I will eat with you. We'll sup together. We'll eat together. That's one of the things that attracted me to Christ. That kind of intimacy. It's not just I'll come into you. We're going to eat together. Now, in my home, out of an Italian-American background, we did the food thing. You get two Italians together. When I have students that have any kind of Italian heritage, within five minutes, we're talking about different kinds of pasta and lasagna and how they did their cannolis. And, you know, we talk food. And within five minutes of going into the home, the food is out on the table. You know, Lenny, get the pepperoni, get the asiago cheese, and you got the bread coming out, and the whole thing is starting to happen. Food becomes a part of immediate way of bonding. And this happens uh, with our Muslim friends when one comes into a home. You don't ask the guest, do you want a cup of chai? If you ask, it means you don't want to give it. And the assumption is that if it's anywhere close to lunch or dinner time, you will be pressed to stay to eat, right? Um, if they're insisting. You'll say, well, oh, it'll just, you'll say, well I, actually, I have another. Oh, it'll just be 15 minutes. Almost, it's almost ready now. Well, meanwhile, they're still trying to catch the chicken outside that you're going to have, you know, the nuggets you're going to have for lunch or whatever, you know. Um, but, but so important is it to... Uh, I used to think, you know, sometimes like we were bothering our friends when we went to visit them. No. They felt it an honor to have someone drop in. And they would drop in uh, to, to, uh, to host someone as a guest. There's something close uh, that happens there. In the parable that I read, Here's a man who's throwing a banquet, and those invited did not come. And so he sends out to the, to, the, to the highways and byways to bring in the poor and the lame and so on. He sends them out. They weren't coming. Not enough. There were still seats that were empty. And so they're sent out farther afield to go to the towns because to, to, he wants his table to be full. He wants his house to be full. Now, I ask you, dear ones, how far are you willing to go to invite people to the banquet? How far are you willing to go geographically, culturally, linguistically, in terms of language learning? How far are you willing to go beyond where most people are willing to go, to the places that are dark, that are dangerous, to the empty places, to the underserved, the least served, the last, the least, the lost? That's the heart of of Christ that comes through this parable that my table might be full. You see, there's too many empty places at the table, and the master is inviting all to come. Third, hospitality is a sign of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom has come near. 
the parable that we read. A certain man preparing a great banquet, inviting many guests, come for everything is now ready. Jesus is trying to say that the king has come near. Now is the time. And so this is a sign that the kingdom, indeed the king, is in our midst. Throwing a great banquet and inviting all to come to sup with him. I think there's another scripture there. He went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That is the outsider. It's not just a matter, you know, just don't take that literally in the sense. We're talking about those outside the boundaries of normal relationship and fellowship and intimate uh, friendship. Invite those people in. Hospitality is a matter of the heart. It's a style of life. This is a sign of the kingdom that's now gone far beyond the boundaries of Judaism. No, all Gentiles are invited to come in. This is why meal fellowship was vitally important in the early church. Why did Jews sometimes not want to mix with Gentiles, want the Gentile, the non-Jewish believers to, to get circumcised? There was assumption that you had to come our way. You had to sort of do it our way, eat the kosher foods and so on. No more, no more BLTs and, and things like that. You, you, you can't do the, 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 the ham for breakfast and so on. Now, Jesus throws wide the gates so that all people can come in from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Hospitality is that kind of a, it's a sign of that kingdom. That Christ is putting together a family from all the families of the nations. A people from all peoples. God's chosen peoples. The people of God from all backgrounds coming together. And the sign of that is sitting at table. And that's why it was so vital for the early church to make a decision that, well, if the Gentiles would just give a little bit on their side, don't eat meat that's been strangled and offered to idols and so on. And the Jews, of course, they had the, you can't just say, well, we're one spiritually, but we'll eat separate because I really don't do the monkey brains thing or I really don't do you know, some of that other special meat that you're talking about. No, the idea was to, to show by how we behave that the kingdom has come. When you sit at table... It's a sign of the kingdom. Every time you sit at table with one another, it's a sign of the kingdom. Every time you welcome in someone who doesn't know Christ, neighbors or nations who have become neighbors, it's a sign of the kingdom has come near. Whenever you go to the nations and and you're learning their language and you're accepting their hospitality and sitting with them, it's a sign of the kingdom. That the kingdom has come. And indeed, this is a royal uh, invitation we were sitting, we had uh, a, a, one of our friends is a, uh, was an Afghan Mujahideen commander that we got to know. And uh, he used to come over to our home before he would go out on his um, operations. Uh, in those years, jihad was a good thing and they were just killing communists. You know, it was those years. Um, and then they'd come back and uh, we would welcome him back and entertain him in our home. And he would, uh, of course, entertain our family as well. Well, one time before he was going out on one of his operations with his uh, band of men, I'd usually invite him over. Uh, and uh, I'd always say, hey, how many dozen guys are you going to bring? And he would laugh. And he'd bring a dozen guys uh, with their Kalashnikovs, which my sons thought was the coolest possible thing. You know, when you're 11 years old, 9 years old, and you got some big Muj- Mujahideen coming over and the long beards and their turbans. And these guys are about 280, and they're packing some metal inside their vest, and they got their Kalashnikov, and they're sitting beside you. 
with it across their knees. Or they ask you to lean it up against the corner. When you're, when you're nine years old, dude, it just doesn't get any better. You know what I'm saying? Well, we had the guys over, and the commander had brought along a couple friends of his who didn't know us. And so they came, which is just fine. That's how we do things out there. You can bring your friends. That's just fine. Um, and the meal was being served, and the guy beside, I'll never forget it. There, there was, we, the women were in back there. They were praying and preparing all of this food, and the feeding frenzy was about to begin. <coughs> One of the nice things about eating with Afghans, they usually don't talk during the meal. You just get down to business. It's, actually, it is a much better system. What we do is we'll serve the meal, and then you get your guests talking, and you're eating, and their food's getting cold. That's how we do things. You know what I'm saying? Well, they just, you don't talk. You don't talk while you eat. You just eat. And then afterwards, you serve the chai, and then you talk. So anyway, we're just getting ready. Had the food out. And this guy starts speaking up, and he looks at the food. And he wasn't going to eat it. And he says to the commander, and I knew what he was saying in Pashto. He said, uh, these guys aren't Muslim. They're not Muslims. Kafir. They're kafirs. They're infidels. You know? How can we eat their food? And there was this moment of crisis all eyes looked to the commander to see what he would do. This is his friend brought to my home. They cast a glance in my direction to see what I would do. Everything was at stake in that crisis moment. My honor. If he refused to eat my food, I would be shamed. If he didn't eat the food, the commander would be shamed because he brought a man to my home who did not receive my hospitality. Everyone was silent. There was this pregnant moment. And the commander sort of leaned back and smiled, and then his eyes twinkled as they would do. He came out with one proverb in Pashto, and it was this. How would they say it, Mr. Mike? Mm. For the sake of friendship, even a Hindu vegetarian, even a Hindu will eat meat the sake of friendship. Cut to the quick. That settled it. These are friends. And we ate. Everyone ate with great joy and celebration. For the sake of friendship. And friendship made the bond. How many of you have had a a fantastic invitation to a meal? You know? Yeah. I I remember remember when we were uh, having uh, lunch with the queen at, at Buckingham Palace a few years ago. Actually, we did. Um, there were 11,998 other people there, but uh, never mind. Um, Debbie, in her inimitable way, you remember during the Golden Jubilee, right? Uh, there was a sort of a lottery for who could go down for the picnic, right, on the Queen's uh, picnic at the palace. And uh, Debbie, uh, last hour, phoned up, put our name into the, to the lot. And guess who gets called? You know, a couple of Yanks. So there we are, you know, number five and number six in the queue going into... Uh, into the palace. But an invitation. And she royally entertained us, Her Majesty. We were very grateful for the opportunity to be at her home and on her, uh, on her lawn. And uh, think of the invitation that you and I have received and that we extend to others. Now, the invitation we give to others of hospitality is also a promise of life. The food that we're offering to people. It's more than just physical food. And think about this when you have a meal with someone, however simple it might be, whether it be an onion, 
a sandwich, a cup of coffee, a scone, or a big meal. There's the promise of life. Think about the spiritual meaning. Jesus says, or the Lord says this in Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. Your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear, come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. When we eat together, there's, in a sense, it's a picture of the real life, the real sustenance that God gives us for our souls, the nourishment of the soul. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so hospitality gives us opportunity as well to reflect on that food that endures forever. How's your soul doing? Is your soul as fat as you are? Have you been nourishing your soul with the richest affair that Christ offers? Where are you going for satisfaction and real pleasure? Finally, let's hasten on. Experiences of hospitality are a foretaste of heaven. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, in the final day up there in heaven, Jesus said there are going to be people at table from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west, from every tribe, every language group, every people, every nation. We're all going to be at table together, you see. And the Italian cooks are going to be back there doing the pasta a dente. It's, it's heaven, I said. Right? Every time you sit together, I, when I would sit with my Afghan friends, Oftentimes, as we're sitting there eating and I'm watching them with joy, sometimes joking with each other, they, you know, the older, they, would, they would find the biggest chili pepper. And, and when someone puts something on your plate, you have to eat it. They would put it on someone's plate, you know, who would then try to put it on the next person. It'd get passed to the youngest guy because there's no one else he can pass it to, you know. Uh, just the joy that would be there as we ate together. And I would often think, you know, Lord, I... Oh, I want them to go to heaven with me. Oh, Jesus, this, this, this is a little taste of it. Now, now they weren't saved yet. But, oh, that's, what's, that's what heaven's going to be like, see. It's a foretaste of heaven. And, and right now the door's open, the gateway's open to come to the banquet. And so we sit with those who, how far will you go? To invite people to the banquet. One time in our home, uh, we had some Afghan tribals over returning hospitality to them for what they had extended to us on one of our trips across border. And as they came, I had hoped they'd spend a long time there, but as it turned out, they had to leave. But I'll never forget, I, I only had opportunity then to give thanks, just to pray. They usually pray after the meal. And so I said, let us pray. And of course, Muslims never turn down an opportunity to pray. They lift up their hands, and I let out in prayer and thank God for the gift of his love the gift of friendship, the gift of being together to have a meal 
and prayed for their families and prayed God's protection on their home and health for their children and keep shaitan, Satan, far away from them and protection in travel and keep his angels around them. And I just prayed my heart over these men and then said, Amin, and they left after that. But they turned to one another and said in the presence of the driver who was a friend of ours, they said, if, if you go back there, oh, even five or six times more, you will become a Christian for sure. He said, no one's prayed for me like that since my mother prayed for me when I was a child. When you pray, you are welcoming that other guest. And Christ comes by his Holy Spirit into that setting. The Persian poet Hafiz of the 14th century, delightful poem, he says this, mystic poet, you have been invited to meet the friend. No one can resist the divine invitation. That narrows down all our choices to just two. We can come to God dressed for dancing. Oh, I love that. That's a great line. We can come to God dressed for dancing or be carried on a stretcher to God's ward. We come to God either joyfully embracing that invitation to come to the celebration banquet or perhaps with broken heart, woundedness. We actually need someone to help carry us to the divine physician. And I don't know what state your soul is in this morning. Some of you maybe are dressed for dancing. I would invite you to come in deeper with him. Join the celebration. Bring some others with you. Maybe you're on the other side of this. Maybe, well, you're not sure you're ready for dancing. I've been there. Maybe you need to be carried. So I want to help you come in to the divine physician to get a little work on your soul. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Most of the people in the world, see, that most have never heard the divine invitation to come dress for dancing. See, most have never heard that, that call. A third of the world's beyond the sound of that invitation. And they live in brokenness. And I'll close with this. I was on the plane. I was in Afghanistan just a couple weeks ago. Delightful time visiting our teams, coaching our teams. It's always great to meet with the expat workers and uh, advise them on the wonderful work that they're doing. But the high point of the trip came on the way out. As I flew from Kabul to Dubai, a couple guys, I was in 10C. 10A was an Afghan tribal guy, Pashtun, from the city of Khost. In the middle, 10B, was an Afghan Pashtun from a province called Paktia. Way, this is, this is the outback. Uh, this is the sort of territory that, you know, the bad guys are supposed to be living. And then there's me in 10C. And we talked in Pashtu for the whole two hours on the trip. And at one point I said to them, I'm bringing it in for a landing. Um, and I'm, I'm starting to wheel it up to the gate. Don't worry, Steve. And I was talking to them about their customs. And I said, you guys observe the true Afghan customs, hospitality. Oh, yes, yes, we do. Melmastia. And do you offer sanctuary to those who need it? Yeah, Pana, we do that. Yes, 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 yes. Revenge, you don't do that, do you? Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. And I said, do you do Nanawati? They said, yes, we do Nanawati. Nanawati is a custom for reconciliation. It's what you do in a culture given to blood revenge. It's one way of reconciling two parties, particularly if it's been an accidental death. 
And I knew what I was asking when I asked them to describe it, but I always like to hear how they observe this custom in their area because forgiveness is not, well, it's not known a lot in those parts. But if someone is killed, accidentally someone else, they send the women folk to that house to beg forgiveness, and the women go and sit with the women, and they talk and say, well, he didn't mean to do it. Please forgive him. And then you get the white beards, the spingirai, we call them, the older men, the elders, and they go and they also plead for forgiveness. And they bring along the murderer, and they've got a rope around his neck. He is not allowed to say anything. He must keep his mouth quiet in repentance. And he's brought along as if he was the cattle of the field. And then they bring along a sheep. And you take that sheep and you offer that to the host. And if the host accepts the sheep, he will welcome that party in. And they will slay the sheep, sacrifice the sheep, and invite them to sit at meal. But the elders and the family will not sit at meal. They will say, they will be there, they will look at the food and say, we will not eat until you promise to forgive our son. And he may say yes, and then they'll put that in writing. And then they'll even invite the murderer to come and sit down. But he will not say a word. They will say, until you promise, say again, I forgive you. And then he sits down. And only then do they have what is actually a reconciliation meal. And as I talked about the future of Afghanistan, I talked about the importance of forgiving one another to rebuild that broken country. And they said, yes, yes, we've heard. Forgiveness is important. That's in our holy book too. I said, yes, but there's one thing that isn't. You're going to need a lamb. You're going to need a sheep to be sacrificed. And then I told them that wonderful story that I wish I had more time to talk to you about. But we chatted about that special lamb of sacrifice that God had sent to die for the sins of the world. And he bore our sins so that he could welcome us reconcile us to himself. You've received a divine invitation. At the end of the flight, the young man in the middle looked into my eyes, thank you for telling me that beautiful story. You have received a divine invitation. Lord, we thank you for inviting us to table with you. We're among the blind and the lame and the crippled. Who do we think we are, really? My goodness, how broken we are, oh God. And you went and found us and brought us to table. Oh, Lord, would you make us people like you, Jesus? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts that are open, hospitable, open homes, open hearts? Would you give us a lifestyle that welcomes new relationship? Wherever we are, that we walk about offering hospitality because our hearts are open to yet another one to enter into conversation with, however brief, at a Starbucks or a Cafe Nero or someplace that we're walking along, we, we happen to chat with someone that our hearts would be hospitable hearts and they too are welcomed. Because he who welcomes you, he receives you, receives me, Jesus said. May we be that kind of people. And Lord, this morning, if there are those who don't know you, I just want to say today as I close and turn this over to Steve, if you don't know the Lord, today's a good day. Come on in. There's a place for you at table. We've been saving a seat. Save a seat special for you. If you've been far away from the Lord, you've been kind of broken, you need to be sort of carried on a stretcher to God's ward, hey, this is a good day. Come on. Come on. Let us help you out. Get some real food. Maybe you're dressed for dancing, and you just want to come up here and say, Lord, use me. 
to issue this divine invitation to others. God bless you.